When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hey, this is Abby Kay, and you're listening to The Hook Rock, the ultimate rock community podcast with Jay Scott. hump day everybody hope you're getting your hump on on this hot and steamy wednesday at least it is out here in chicago in the chicago area thanks for tuning in thanks for checking us out again we've got a great interview with john karabi former lead singer of the dead daisies motley crew the scream union excited to have him on because i'm a huge fan been a fan for his been a fan of his for a while and uh john's always a, a great person to have a conversation with the conversation's always great with john karabi so that's coming up here shortly big news yesterday sad news yesterday the passing of legendary drummer charlie watts of the rolling stones uh, 80 years old About a few weeks ago, I remember reading an article he needed emergency surgery. I don't know what the condition was or what the reason was for that. Uh, I haven't seen anything. I may have missed it. but And then shortly thereafter, he pulled out of the Stones tour, or at least this leg of this tour, because of complications from the surgery. Now, 
what the reason was he passed, I don't know. Um, you know, at the end of the day, it's it's really none of our business, although we are curious to find out what the reason was because we're a fan of his music or people that are a fan of his music. But, you know, if we never know, we never know. I'm sure we'll find out at some point. But um, just a huge loss in the music community. You know, a lot of people over the last decade or so make comments about the Beatles and the Stones being overrated. And I don't know why they do that. I don't know where that comes from. I, I don't know if it's because there's a younger generation that doesn't understand the impact of the Beatles and the Stones, but it's annoying. It really is because when someone's having a music conversation with you and they make comments like that, you immediately think in your head, this person doesn't know what they're talking about. It's okay not to not like the Stones. It's okay to not like the Beatles, but you can't say that they were overrated or you can't say that they weren't that good. I see it all the time. It comes up on my social media comments or people like, you know, make comments about, oh, the Beatles are pop music. True, they did start pop music, right? They did start popular music, but they were rock and roll back when they were popular, back when they appeared on the Ed Sullivan shows. They were rock music. They were considered hard rock. In fact, you can make the argument that the first heavy metal song, I know people like to say, you know, it's born to be wild because it mentions heavy metal, the term in there. But if you listen to Helter Skelter, to me, that's where hard rock and metal really started was with that song. You look at Revolution, another, you know, with the distortion of the guitar, with the Beatles, and then you move over to the Stones, you know, a lot of the beginnings of the Rolling Stones were blues covers, and then they, you know, did their original material, but they never lost that blues influence, and it became dirtier and dirtier as time went on, and you can even make the claim that they were the first band to be what's considered sleaze rock. If You listen to a lot of their stuff in the 70s, early 70s, and Charlie Watts Although the Rolling Stones are considered a blues band, Charlie Watts' influence and style of playing was more jazz-based. And it really set up an interesting push and pull between, you know, the Richards blues guitar, the Mick Taylor, the Brian Jones, you know, later on Ron Wood. With that jazz bass, you know, the bass of jazz in their songs, I should say. And it really was a dynamic that... I don't know if any other band has really done it like the Stones. Of course, you know, Bonham has some jazz background, and a lot of drum, drummers do. But to merge that element of Muddy Waters and, you know, Holland Wolf and, and artists like that, I don't know if a band has ever been able to match that sound because of that. You know, Bonham, of course, had it, but Bonham pounded those drums, right? The foundation of heavy metal and hard rock is through the drums of John Bonham and the guitar tone of Tony Iommi. I mean, that is essential when you're, in my opinion. But, uh, you know, Charlie was a great drummer. A lot of people don't give him credit. A lot of people say he was overrated. Again, you know, a lot of people say that because they just don't know. He was very unassuming. He was very quiet. And maybe that played into what people thought about him. That's always a possibility. 
but you can't make the claim that he was overrated or the Stones were overrated because those guys are like the forefathers of rock and roll, along with the Beatles, and you could say Zeppelin, and you know maybe uh, Jimi Hendrix as well. But um, yeah, sad loss. I think the Stones will probably continue on. You know, there's a lot of money on the table, and you know they can find a drummer that you know will replace Charlie Watts as they did Bill Wyman, who left decades ago as their bass player. But it'll be interesting to see who they get. You know, and the Stones. I mean. You know, I mean, how much longer can they tour? I mean, late 70s, early 80s right now and still moving around. And, yeah, I mean, how much longer do we have, you know, to enjoy a band like the Rolling Stones? But Once again, this is The Hook Rocks. We are part of the Pantheon Podcast Network. You can check us out wherever you do podcasts. Listen to all of our old and new episodes. Like us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter. PantheonPodcast.com has their Twitter feed, Pantheon Pods. You can find them on Facebook as well. A lot of great hosts on that platform. Shout out Loudcast, Martin Popoff, The Rock Historian, many others as well. Check them out. Uh, great feedback on a lot of the episodes that we've done recently. Amy Darling, great up and coming artist. She was a treat to have on the show. Listen to that interview. That's our latest new music spotlight. We did the Who Are the Big Four with Sydney Taylor uh, from Metal from the Inside and Brave Words. She's awesome. She's been on the show three or four times, I want to say. I think it's three. She was great. She always brings it whenever she's on here, and she's great to to have on because she's informative, and uh, she's just she knows her stuff even at a very young age. I think she's 21 now or 22. And she's fantastic. And she's going to be a rock star someday. She's going to be huge in terms of personalities, in terms of where you get your music news from and your music commentary from. So remember that and check out her podcast, Metal from the Inside. Of course, the D. Snyder episode continues to get great feedback. Thank you very much for listening. D was a great guest. Uh, love to have him back on. The only complaint I have is I wish I had more time to talk to him. Brad Gillis, we did at the beginning of the month, another great episode as well. Matt James from Blacktop Mojo, their new album's out. So there's a lot of episodes to listen to, a lot of great stuff happening in the future. Next couple of weeks are going to be pretty cool with some great new bands and some great episodes coming your way. Let's take care of some business, and then let's welcome Mr. John Karabi to The Hook Rocks. Once again, this episode is sponsored by Blue Chew. Say it with us. Blue Chew. Blue Chew is making waves and bringing more confidence to the bedroom by offering chewable tablets that can help men get stronger and longer lasting erections. Let's have a good time, baby. Blue Chew is a unique online service that delivers the same active ingredients as Viagra and Cialis, but in a chewable form and a fraction of the cost. Cha-ching! Blue Chew's tablets help men achieve harder, stronger erections to combat all forms of ED, erectile dysfunction. It's probably the most important thing in any relationship. 
Blue Chew is an online prescription service, so no visits to the doctor, no awkward conversations, and no waiting in line at the pharmacy. And it ships right to your door in a discreet package. The process is simple. Sign up at BlueChew.com, consult with one of their licensed medical providers, and once you're approved, you'll receive your prescription within days. The best part? It's all done online. BlueChew's licensed medical providers work with you to find the right ingredient and strength for your prescription. Don't like swallowing pills? No problems here. BlueChew's Sildenafil and Tadalafil tablets are chewable. BlueChew's tablets are made in the USA, America, and they prepare and ship direct, so it's cheaper than a pharmacy. So if you could benefit from extra confidence when it's time to perform, visit BlueChew.com for more details and important safety information. And here's a special deal for the Hook Rocks podcast listener. Try BlueChew free when you use our promo code Milk Shake at checkout. Just paying $5 shipping. That's BlueChew.com, promo code Milk Shake to receive your first month free. And we thank BlueChew for sponsoring the Hook Rocks podcast. I'd like to welcome in my next guest, an artist that I've known for quite a while since, gosh, probably middle school, junior high. I used to spend my summers out in California visiting my aunt and uncle and my cousins who lived in Palos Verdes, which is right around like Torrance and Redondo Beach near there. And I used to go to the Tower Records in South Bay. And I used to buy music because my uncle would pay me to do stuff around the house while I was spending like six weeks in California. I'd paint the horse, you know, corral and I'd do all this other stuff. And I spent all my money basically on music because I go to the South Bay uh, Tower Records with my cousins. And I bought this KNAC Pure Rock. I think it was Best of the West that they called it. It was like Volume 2. And there was this band called Angora. They had the singer, who was my next guest. From there, he went on to the band Scream. We also know about Motley Crue. We know about Union, even the Eric Singer Project, which is one of my favorite uh, CDs that I own. His solo stuff, The Dead Daisies. I'd like to welcome in one of my favorite artists, Mr. John Karabi. What's going on, John? How are you? I'm all right, buddy. You forgot Abbott and Justin Bieber, though. Anyway, okay. <laughs> <laughs> you sang background vocals, and you were one of the dancers for Bieber, weren't you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, I hate, it, hate, hate to admit it, but if you look at the videos, that's me in the in the sequin mini skirt in the back. Interesting. I'll have uh, I'll have to yeah. to watch that Make again. <laughs> <laughs> but hey, man, welcome to the show. Uh, like I said, I've been a big fan of yours for a while. And really excited to get to know you during this episode and, and, you know, talk about a few things, namely your new solo music that's coming out, your new solo project that's coming out. I had the the pleasure to listen to your new single that's going to be coming out on Monday, drops at midnight on Monday, and uh, really excited for you and excited for the new music. Yeah, you know, it's... it's, um it's interesting times, man. You know, like 
everything's different now, you know, like I, I I'm kind of figuring it out as I go, but, um, a lot of people now aren't releasing, they're releasing songs. So I'm going to try this route and see how it goes. I really have no record. I am my own record label. And, um, I'm going to release a song and a video and then let it sit for a month or two and then release another song and a video and, and just go that route and, and, um, you know, see how it goes. I mean, like I said, everybody's doing the digital thing now. I guess it's more about streaming and, you know, all that stuff. So, you know, new world, new way. So I'm just trying and trying to figure my way through this and figure out what my place is. You know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. We'll we'll get into all that. But I always ask the same first question every time we have a first-time guest on the show, and that is the essence of what we do here. Just like every rock song has a hook that sucks you in and pulls you in, every rock fan has a moment, whether it's a song, an album, a band, or performance, that hooked them on rock and roll. What was it for you? Um, I think the song that really, really spiked my thing for music, whatever it is, whatever you want to call it, um, it was probably the song Hello Goodbye by the Beatles. I don't know why. Um, I just love that song. When I heard it, um, my cousin Andrew had it on a 45 and the same thing. Like I would go to my aunts and uncles on Sundays for, for dinner, family dinner. And, uh, Andrew and I would go into the basement and if we listened to that song, like I, I, I probably listened to that song a thousand times just over and over and over again. And I was just, I couldn't even tell you what it was. If it was the melody, the words, the music. Um, but that was the one that really got me. You know what I mean? It, it has such a defining meaning to the song because it's, it's really about life and opportunity. As one door shuts, another door opens. As you say goodbye to one phase of your life or a situation, you say hello to a new one. You're, you're, as human nature has it and as humans go, we, we are always moving on and we're always adapting to new surroundings, adapting to new beginnings. And it's, it is really a, a, a poignant song about life and how, you know, as you are, saying goodbye to youth you say hello to adulthood you say goodbye to one job you say hello to a new one you say goodbye to one band you say hello to a new one and you know it's 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 such a defining moment i didn't i i see what you're saying with that but i really kind of got a a almost a thing like life in general, like, like you said, life, but almost like, you know, disagreeing, but it's okay. You okay. know what I mean? Cause the, if you really look at the lyrics, it's like, you say, yes, I say, no, you say, stop. I say, go, 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 
you know, oh no, you say goodbye, I say hello. You know what I mean? And it's just like this back and forth thing, you know. But it's like the, the song. It's it's weird. I I can't. I got it. I got a, a thing where it was like people uh, varying opinions, but it's still in the context of this happy little song. Like, oh, you know what? That's cool. All right, you know, you think that way. I think this way, and you know. But love you, man. Like all good. So. Uh, but again, that was the beauty of music back then. We didn't have music videos and we didn't have, you know, all this other shit. So everybody listened to songs and got out of it what they wanted to get out of it. And, you know, that's what I got out of it. And that's what you got out of it. You know what I mean? That's the beautiful thing about music. You know, you can interpret it, the same song completely different and uh, you still be right. You know, and that's that's what's really cool about it. As yeah. as far as your journey into music, where did it go from there? When did you want to get up on stage and perform and be in a band and sing for people? Um, well, I started putting bands together. I started playing guitar, and then I told you I was just fascinated with that song. And, um, and then I entered a school talent show and got a sixth grade or some some shit fifth or sixth grade seventh grade and uh it's funny because i was actually just playing guitar and we had learned a song by the animals called house of the rising sun and um another one uh, by the monkeys called i'm not your stepping stone and um for some reason, I wasn't supposed to sing. Somebody else was, and it, memory serves me. I like somebody was either like one of the guys in the band was told that they couldn't go because they did something wrong, so they were being punished. Um, it was either that or somebody got stage fright. Can't for the life of me can't remember. But I wound up singing, and I literally sat there and I sang. Um, House of the Rising Sun and I'm Not Your Stepping Stone and we actually brought home the gold and my dad took us out for pizza afterwards and I just thought, I was like, wow people clapping for me and I'm getting rewarded a pizza afterwards I need to do this for a living <laughs> and a, it was it snowballed from there That's a great story What What are some you know, you're primarily known as a front man. You do play guitar. You've played guitar on a lot of albums that you've appeared on. As far as singing goes, who were some of your influences as you continued on your journey? I'd say the main three. Like, the main three is probably Paul McCartney, Robert Plant, and Steven Tyler. But... I can literally listen to a song and if it's a great vocal performance, I'm like, Oh my God, that's amazing. Like, you know, when you sit and listen to, you know, Whitney Houston's version of, you know, uh, the national anthem, it's fucking genius. You know what I mean? It's like, she is so spot on on that thing. Or you listen to Frank Sinatra, you know, New York, New York, you know what I mean? So I, 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 
as far as vocal performances, I'm kind of open to everything. If that even makes any sense at all. So I can't say that I'm incredibly knowledgeable about, you know, a lot of different things, but, um, you know, but when you, when you hear like a great song, like I, I, I was just talking about it yesterday, like Paul Rogers singing all right now. Now I'm not a massive free fan where it's like, I know every little detail about the band, but like I listen to that vocal performance and still to this day, everyone, every time I hear it, it just, I just sit there and I shake my head and I go, Holy shit. That voice, those ad libs and those vocal inflections and the timing and, and then you sit down and you, you listen to it and you go, that's a 17 year old boy singing that song. And you go, holy shit, wow. That's just, you know what I mean? Otherworldly. You know what I mean? You listen to Freddie Mercury on Bohemian Rhapsody or Killer Queen or, what? you know, uh, there's a dozen. And you go, oh, my God. You know what I mean? So, like, I just like good vocal performances. Grand Funk, Don Brewer and Mark Farner together were insane. Um, another huge thing I, but I don't know every song by the band um, you know but I, I would have to say the main three singers is McCartney Robert Plant and Steven Tyler what about your writing style where did that come from I mean a lot of people write through personal experience observation they want to tell a story where do you find yourself and, and was there a song that you heard that connected with you that said Hey, I want to write something like this. I want to get on that level of musicianship and try to connect with people that I'm singing to. Yeah, you know, dude, like it, it. There's always. I think if you're, I think if you're any like any musician, will always hear like a cool line, like a cool phrase lyrically, and go, ah. God, why didn't I think of that? It's so simple. Do you know what I mean? Or, or you know, or what made, you know, what made, again, I'm going to use Freddie Mercury as an example, but what freight made Freddie Mercury write, she's a killer queen, gunpowder, gelatine. Like, like, who thinks of that? So I think with anything, sorry, there's a plane flying over me right now. Um, I think with anything, if you're a musician, like you'll hear somebody use, you know, like a chord progression and go, oh, I didn't think of that. Why didn't I think of that? Or, a, a, you know, a sentence or, or just some use, the use of certain words. And you're like, oh, my God, it's been right there in front of me my whole life. Why didn't I think of that? Or a key phrase you know, a clever hook line, you know? So I'm just kind of inspired all the time. Um, life lyrically, life definitely throws us, you know, inspiration on a daily basis. So 
Um, I just try to take in as much as I can. Um, you know what I mean? Um, you know, I, I, I'm sometimes influenced by the meaning of a word. Like I'll sit down and I'll go, Oh shit. Like sublime. I had no re I had no idea. That's what that meant. You know what I mean? I'm not, I didn't go to school often when I went to school. So I'm not the most book smart person, but like, I'll just, somebody will use a word in a sentence and I'll even watching a movie. I've, I've heard people use words in a script and I go, Oh, that's kind of a weird word. And I'll look it up and see what it means. And then the next time I'm writing lyrics, I'm like, how can I fit that word into these lyrics? So it's, I'm, that's just how my brain works. You know what I mean? But it's everything. Do you ever find yourself vulnerable when you're writing about a song or or writing about a topic that is, you know, part of a song or this, what the song is about where you got to tap into something that's uncomfortable? No, uh, you know, because I think if you know me, um, I really don't give a shit about much. I mean, I, like I want to make sure when I walk on stage that I sound good. Um, you know, I've had my moments where I didn't always look my best, but I try to look my best and I just try to write really good songs and the rest of the shit is out of my control. It's out of my hands. So I don't worry about it. And, you know, people ask me like, why do you wear your hair like that? Or why do you wear those clothes? Or why do you, and I just kind of don't give a fuck. Like it is, you know what? I'm just kind of like, I am what I am and I've done what I've done, even the bad shit. And I have no issue with talking about it because I'm a firm believer in, in everything that you do, good, bad, indifferent mistakes, successes, everything leads you to where you are right now in the present, this moment. You know what I mean? Uh, the mistakes that I've made in the past, I've learned from them. So they were valuable to me. You, you know what I mean? So I don't, I don't really worry about anything. I, like I'm not, I don't feel like I'm vulnerable. If you ask me about something, I'm going to, I'm going to give you the truth. So I, I'm not really that kind of a, um, no, I, I can't say that I'm ever vulnerable about anything because I'm kind of an open book, man. It's like what you see is what you get. I think that's what people appreciate about you too. You know, your fans, the people that, you know, have loved the bands that you've been in and always appreciate your honesty whenever you are doing an interview, you're speaking about something, you know, because it is refreshing because we do live in a day and age where things have to be measured they have to be, you know, well thought out because you don't want to offend this group of people or that group of people. It is a very strange time. And it's, you know, like I said, it is it is nice to have someone who stays true to just honesty and take it for what it is. Take it however you want to take it. These are my thoughts. These are my opinions. You don't have to like it. You don't have to like me. And if you don't, you can change the channel. You can stop reading. You can stop listening. That's why Baskin Robbins has 32 flavors. <laughs>
If you don't like vanilla and chocolate, there's others. You know what I mean? And and that's the thing. Like, you know, I, I mean, I could I could literally sit here and and question. I I think when you start becoming vulnerable or you start thinking, like, am I saying the right? Am I doing the right thing? Am I? You know what I mean? Then then you start. It's like you're questioning everything you've done up to that moment. You know what I mean? It's like, I don't, somebody asked me if I have any regrets and I'm like, Nope. And they're like, well, even the Motley said, no, I, I don't fucking regret anything. I don't hate the guys in Motley. I don't, I don't anything. The guys from Motley, you know what I mean? I, I don't think about them. I don't, it was what it was. It was five years of my life. I did it. I did that record or three, actually three records. We did three records and then I moved along and I did union. And then when I was in union, I was thinking about union. I wasn't thinking about anything in the past. And that's right. Like the other thing I always tell everybody is like, I, I look at life as a car. And when you're driving a car, when you're driving forward anyway, you're looking through the front window. If you drive the car forward while you're looking in the mirror, you're going to hit something. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's mm -hmm. like, can't, you can't look in the past if you're driving forward. So I, I don't really give a shit about any, I, I, you know, I, I know it sounds kind of whatever, you know, it's, but I, I don't, I don't have any regrets. I don't have any you know, I mean, I have obviously remorse if I've ever hurt somebody that was unintentional. Of course, you have remorse, but I don't really have any regrets. And I don't think about a lot of shit that I did. You know, I don't think about what I did three days ago. You know what I mean? Um, I, it, like, so something like the Motley thing that I, I did 27 fucking years ago, it's not even an afterthought. The only time I think about it is when one of the guys in my band says, you know, or my son is in, he's my drummer. If he goes, Hey dad, I think we should do till death do us part. Oh, yeah. Okay. Let's try it. See how it sounds. You know what I mean? But I don't really think about it. Prior to the pandemic, we learned that you were leaving the dead daisies to work on your solo album. And, uh, yep. you know, for at least for me, I, you know, and I know a lot of others too as well, extremely disappointed because I felt that the Dead Daisies were really onto something and were really, you know, that, that trajectory that bands go on. I felt, I felt that they were there and, and they were, con you know, continuing on that. Obviously, Glenn Hughes replaced you, and Glenn Hughes is a well known name in rock, rock and roll. Obviously, you know, former Deep Purple, former uh, Trapeze bassist and, and, and vocalist. So, but it was disappointing because one of the things about the Dead Daisies is there seems to be an issue with being, you know, continuity, right? And, mm -hmm. you know, from one album to the other, there's always a change in personnel. Um, I've interviewed Doug Aldrich. I've interviewed Glenn Hughes. I've interviewed Dean Castronova. I've interviewed Brian Tishy, all current or former members of the band. Why do you think that there's so much change in that band, having experienced it. That's what they want. I mean, from day one, I 
I joined a band in 2015. If, first of all, say to sit here and say I joined the band, it's never been termed as a band. It was always known as a collective of whoever might be there at the time. You know what I mean? Um, so kind of going into it, I knew, you know, I could do one record with them. I could do three records with them. I could do 20 records with them, uh, you know? Um, and, and to be honest with you, they didn't ask me to leave or they didn't ask to go like move on. I kind of left because, um, I, I just, it's a really long story, but it was just like initially when I first got the offer from Marco Mendoza to join the band, I wasn't even going to do it because I was doing my own solo band with my son and some friends from Nashville. Um, and then they asked me to do the record. And when I found out who all was involved, Richard and Dizzy and Marco and Brian Tishy, I didn't know David, but I was like, oh, this could be fun, could be cool, you know? And initially, you know, maybe I didn't hear them properly, but initially I thought it was going to be like, you know, we're not really going to need you that much. Uh, you know, maybe half a year. And then you got the other half of the year to do whatever you want. But it just, once I joined and we did that first record, things just started to blossom and take off. And, you know, and then meanwhile, I got my kid like, Hey dad, when are we going to do some shows? Like what's going on? You know, really kind of bummed out. Like he's getting up and going to work at his day job because, you know, dad who put a band together with him took off and went on to another band and there was zero time for me to do anything that I wanted to do with my guys. So I just said, you know what? Like I did 2015, 2016, 2017 and 2018. I just said, look at the end of the day, man, I'm, this has been fun, but I need a break. Like we did in four years, I think we did like, you know, we did three studio records, two live albums. I don't know how many times we went to Europe and Japan and Russia and South Korea and like all over the United States and cruises. And, and I was like, fuck, I want to go do, some, I want to go do my own thing. I want to see if I can do this. Um, you know, so I left. Um, everything's on good terms. I just talked to Doug not that long ago. I still talk to Dean. I still talk to Marco. I still talk to David Lowy. I still talk to Brian Tishy. I still talk to the management of the Dead Daisies. Everything's fine. Um, I know Glenn very well. Glenn and I text each other quite a bit. Um, so it's all good. You know what I mean? I, I just think it was I, like, I felt bad. Like I'm just sitting there going, fuck man, I got this killer. I had this killer thing going with my kids. And it's just like, you know, all of a sudden I just kind of up and left and 
left everybody hanging. And uh, I just wanted to get back to doing some of my own shows and, um, you know, starting to write new material for a solo record. And unfortunately, you know, 2019, when I left the Daisies, I swear to God, I think that whole year I was busier than shit doing acoustic shows. And then 2020 rolled along and I said, all right, cool. I got in touch with Marty Fredrickson. I said, let's do a record. He goes, okay. And we literally just got it, got started. I, you know, so I was working during the week recording and then going out on the weekends and doing acoustic shit. And I think I did like, I laid down some rhythm tracks with Marty on a couple of tunes and, um, and then COVID hit. So, uh, I've kind of reworked the plan. Um, you know, obviously at the time I was on Rat Pack Records and, uh, I was going to do a record for them, but you know, COVID hit and it made me rethink the way we do everything. So I just said, you know what, I'm, I'm like, I've, I'm taking this time. I wrote a book during COVID and I took Pro Tools classes, learned how to use Pro Tools. I'm still a bit caveman with it, but um, I'm moving forward. I've recorded maybe, you know, I don't even know how many songs. Started writing and recording some ideas that I did with Marty. Um, I've got some ideas with Richard Fortas that I wrote. I got some ideas with this guy, Dave Fahanish that I wrote. Um, and I'm just in my studio as much as I can. And just getting in there and trying to figure out pro tools, make my mistakes and, um, just get my stuff recorded and move along, you know? And, you know, well, it, it, it was just nothing more than me just wanting to get back and go out and do some shows with my kids. So, that's what happened with the daisies. Is it important? I'm sorry. That's, that's also 10 minutes of your life you're not getting back because that was a really long answer. I appreciate it, though. That, it was a great answer. No, I mean, I appreciate you you talking about that because I think there are, you know, are fans out there of the dead daisies who don't understand that. Like, you know, I, I remember hearing about that, like, when you were doing, I think it was the Revolution album about how yeah. it was, you know, a collective and different people coming in and out. But because, you know, your period of, of that band was so defining and so good, you know, it, it you, you lost sense of that, right? And then when you left, I think I remember reading that, you know, again, that you were you were thinking that they were going to take a break and it was going to give you some time to do your solo stuff. But then there was like kind of like a change of plans, where they decided to maybe keep the momentum going, and then that's when you decided to step back and step out. Well, and it, and it was just weird. I mean, even if you look at my Live 94 album, um, you know, I recorded that. Shit, when did I record that? I think I recorded the record because it was the 20th anniversary of the Motley thing. Uh, so that was 2014. So I recorded the record then. And then I had Michael Wagner mix and master it. And I turned it into, I turned it into Rat Pack. Right around the same time that I got offered the Daisies gig. And, you know, 
and then I did the, I, I mean, it was weird. Like I got call, I, I got the call from the dead daisies to go to Cuba in like February. Right. In March, I was in Australia with them doing a record. And then like we literally finished in April, we wrote and recorded that first record in 30 days. And so we were done in April. In May, I was right back out in L.A. doing a video with them for Mexico, and we split to go do a KISS tour. You know what I mean? It was like bang, bang, bang. And But the, the thing that the crazy thing was is every time I was getting ready to release the Live 94 record, I would sit and look at our schedule and go, oh, shit, the Dead Daisies are doing uh, like either a month before or a month after. Like, it's probably, you know what? Let me hold this record back. So I literally recorded the Live 94 album in 2014 for the 20th anniversary, mixed it, mastered it. I was going to put it out in 15, but Revolution came out. Then I was going to put it out in 16, but Make Some Noise came out. And 17, Live and Louder came out. And 18, Burn It Down came out. And I kept holding the record, and then finally I just said, you know what? I, I put the record out. I did pre-orders for it early January. Burn It Down came out in April. I just threw it out there. And um, I did no press for it. And, um, you know, so it was, just, it was just getting to, for me personally, it was just getting like, just, oh, I was getting overwhelmed trying to do both things. So I just said, you know what, I'm, I'm, I'm just going to go try and do my own thing for a minute. Now, does that mean for the fans, they just assume like, oh, you guys hate each other? No, we're fine. I left on good terms. And who knows, maybe, you know, five years from now, if they decide to do an anniversary revolution tour, then me, Richard, and Dizzy, and everybody will get back together and we'll go, whatever. But there's no no bad blood it was just i just i just needed a break we were working so much so fast so hard that i just went i need to breathe and i just walked away from it for a little bit is it important for you 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 mentioned you know your solo album and writing music as you you know, are performing now and making music is it is it is it important for you to release this record because you know, ultimately, when you look back at your career, you know, Dead Daisies, Motley Crue, Union, you know, the Eric Singer Project, you know, all these bands, The Scream, and they've all been great, but you've all you've always had to collaborate with other people. Is this something that you you have you have in your system that you've got to just get out because you've got these no, ideas because- and, and it's all you, it's John Karabi? No, I mean, you know, because... Even though I was in a band, yeah, you collaborate with people, um, you know, and, but there's songs like, you know, I can pretty much, short of some minor changes here and there, I pretty much wrote, like, there's a couple songs here and there that I wrote on my own. Um, I kind of wrote a, you know, for lack of a better term, like, I Believe in Me, um, you know, father, mother, son, when I was in Motley, Drift Away, um, in, in Union, uh, God, it was, 
you know, do your own thing. Robin song, uh, love. I don't need it anymore. You know, like a lot of these, a lot of these tunes were just, here's my song. I, I wrote this, you know what I mean? Um, even, even in a dead Daisy, the first record, there was a song called sleep. Well, I did write it with Matt Farley, but I like writing. I, I can write songs on my own. Um, but I like writing with people because <clears throat> it's, you know what it is? It's hello. Goodbye again. Like, I'll say, oh, yeah, why don't we do this with the guitar? Go here from this chord to that chord. And somebody else may hear it and go, well, what if we did this chord, that chord to this chord? You go, oh, shit, I would have never thought of that. So I do like, um, I do like collaborating to a degree with people. Um and then once I get it to a point where I think the song's mapped out and it's awesome, then I take it home and I work on the lyrics usually by myself. Um, and, but even then, like, I, there's a song that I'm working on now called Your Own Worst Enemy that I wrote with Marty. And we had these chords and I recorded it and I just sat and I listened to it and I'm like, I don't like it. And then I tried it a different way. And I said, I don't like it. And then, you know, finally, I literally did it. Instead of doing these chords that Marty had come up with, I kind of used his chords as a the foundation. But I wound up putting a riff. Instead of playing chords, it's a riff. But using that progression that Marty came up with. And, and then I was like, oh, there it is. It's done. You know, so... It, I, I just like writing with people because it kind of makes you see things from somebody else's perspective. And, it, you know, because you, you tend to get very, uh, especially me, like if I have a melody in my head, when I first write a song, when I first come up with the chords for an idea, I'll sing a melody over it. And then for some reason, I tend to get locked into that melody. And it's really hard for me to think of anything else. So I'll just take the same chords and I'll go to maybe somebody like Marty or just somebody else and I'll play the chords for him. I go, I have a melody idea for this, but I want to hear what you would do. What would you do on this? And sometimes it's like, you hear their idea and you go, okay, well, you know what? I don't like how he's beginning it, but I like how he's ending it. So I'll use my beginning with his ending. And then I, and then I'll, I'll go back, map the song out. And then I'll sit down and write lyrics to that song. It's just, it's just having another, another viewpoint. When you're putting this album together, and we're in a pandemic as we were in 2020 was a lot of this music that you put together and wrote during that time. Was it before? Is it, you know, been recently? How, how, um, you know, where did your new music and what inspired your new music over the last couple of years since you left the dead daisies? 
everything. Um, I don't want to give too much away now. Like I said, I'm and and, and we keep saying album. There will be eventually. I know. I, I it's it's an old habit. I'm saying album. No, no, no. I know. I know. But I just you know it for clarity purposes. Like, because everybody still goes, "Hey, dude, when's your album coming out?" And I keep correcting them because it's a different time now. Like, I, I know there's people out there like yourself and myself. I still like seeing the hard copy. I still like seeing, I like holding the vinyl, smelling the vinyl, reading the liner notes. I like all that shit. And I know there's a lot of people that do, but the majority of people aren't buying records that way anymore. So I actually had to rethink it. And actually, after a long talk with Marty Fredrickson, Marty even asked me, he goes, why are you doing a record? And I kind of was like, is this a trick question? Like, what? I don't understand the question. I'm a musician. Why wouldn't I do a record? And then he's like, yeah, but dude, you know, nobody's really selling any records. Like, the route now is streams. The route now is singles. And then I started doing a little digging and checking into what he was saying. And at the end of the day, he was kind of right. Like, nobody's selling... People are selling their records at their shows. Maybe on Amazon. It's not like you're going to see a John Karabi record at a Betch Buy or a Tower Records or Kmart or Walmart. It's not going to happen. Um, Kmart and Walmart absolutely only only use the top 20 records on Billboard. So if the top 20 records are rap albums or 15 rap albums and a country in five country records or whatever it may be, that's what's going to be sold at Kmart you know, or Walmart, whatever. So I rethought everything and, uh, you know, so I just kind of look at life and, um, like, some of my lyrics are, you know, are just made-up little stories. Some of them are um, things that I see on TV. Like, you and I talked about this, you know, a few days ago, like how divided everybody is, you know. And I wrote a song. I wrote a song that was inspired by that, you know, what's going on in everyday life now. And, 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 you know, so I'm kind of all over the place. I, you know, like that, that, um, song that you, you've heard already, my first single that I'm getting ready to release. It's just kind of, I guess, for lack of a better term, um, it's kind of a made-up story. But I think that any everybody's got that, it's that old adage, the one that got away. Do you know what I mean? Um, I think everybody has, like if you went through all the girls that you dated up to right now, or married, whatever, like there's one that was like kind of particularly special. 
You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, and whether it was your mistake, her mistake, whatever, it just didn't work out. There's always that one that got away. And that's what the song's about. You know what I mean? It's just kind of, but it's a made up story. You know, it's made up, made up lyrics. Like just kind of, it just kind of had that vibe to it. So those lyrics just, I literally sat down and wrote them in like an hour and a half. You know what I mean? It just came, it worked. I really like the song because it's a different, it's different than what people have heard from you in the past. Like I got a Beatles vibe. I got a Chicago Saturday in the park vibe to it. it it's a really, it's a really cool song and it's a different tone with you. Um, when was but that song know, written? That, that's the thing. That's the thing. Like, um, you know, the, the funny thing of it is, is if you really though go back and you look at my history and if you know, 15 years ago, if somebody said, Hey, what's your favorite bands? You know, it's going to be the Beatles, you know, Queen, you know what I mean? It, like, so I've always said that those were my influences and I, you know, so it's just, I just kind of, I just said, you know what? I want to be musical now. I don't want somebody to say to me, well, you know, we're a two guitar band, so we can't have any keyboards or we can't have any strings or we can't have any horns, you know, because, you know, it like, as much I love love Aerosmith. There's horns on same old song and dance from Get Your Wings. There's horns on you, you know what I mean. Mm-hmm. They they were they would use horns on a lot of shit. Um, Led Zeppelin used horns, you know, and Queen. That so I I just sit there and I go when I started doing this. I told Marty I said I just want to be super musical. Like if there's a triangle, if you hear a triangle in the fucking song, then let's add it. I don't give a shit. Like I have no, there's no boundaries. Like I just want to do what I want to do. Here's the song. Now, what can we need? What do we need? What does this song need? Like, does it need horns or are we just shoving them in there to make a statement? You know what I mean? And if it's, you know, if it needs backing vocals, then let's put them in there. If it doesn't, it doesn't. And so I just kind of said, I just want to be really musical. And, you know, I'm not talking about crazy prog rock or timing changes. I'm just talking about like being open to anything. Keyboards strings, percussion, whatever it may be, um, tambourines, back, background singers, gospel chicks singing, ba- you know, whatever. Um, I love it all. You know, let's use it all. And it, 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 it I kind of always felt like a lot of the bands, there was confines to everything that we did. 
um, you know. Hello, Pantheon Podcast listeners. Christian Swain here to tell you more about my experience with Raycon earbuds. Our family now has three pairs of Raycon earbuds around the house. And my wife just grabbed a pair of the headphone pros to replace some headphones from a company that was double the price. And yes, she loves them. Now, if you haven't pulled the trigger on a pair of Raycons, or even if you have, but you're in the market for another pair because they're just that good, well, now is the time to check them out because they just launched their upgraded model of the best-selling everyday earbuds. With Raycon's upgraded everyday earbuds, now you also get active noise cancellation, ergonomic design, and multi-point connectivity that lets you pair with two devices at once. New quick charge function, three customizable sound styles, plus awareness mode. Available in a variety of vibrant new colors to complement any and all skin tones. I even have a pair of earbuds in a cool green color. I have tried just about every earbud known to humankind, and these Raycons are fantastic. Seriously, if you've been wanting to check out Raycons, there truly is no better time. You're going to ask yourself why you didn't check them out sooner, and Raycon offers a 30-day happiness guarantee. So what are you waiting for? Go to buyraycon.com slash pantheon today to get 20% off your Raycon order, plus free shipping. That's right. You'll get 20% off and free shipping at buyraycon.com slash pantheon. Buyraycon.com slash pantheon. Hey folks, Stefan Shirazi and Renee Richardson here from the Metallica Report. And we are proud members of the Pantheon podcast family, where the best of music and podcasts unite. We've got something pretty cool for you. We're giving away an exclusive Metallica merch package worth over $250. That's a whole lot of scary guys, skulls, M72, and other sought-after Metallica swag. And we've made it easy for you to win. Follow and share the Metallica Report, and you're in the game. Go to pantheonpodcast.com slash Metallica, enter your email, and hit that button to be entered to win. And just like that, you're eligible for our monthly exclusive Metallica merch package. And guess what, rockers? You can enter every month. So just do it. And while we love our global brothers and sisters, the lawyers won't let us ship outside the U.S. Even the scream, like, there was battles over using, you know, clavinet and horns i loved it but it it didn't always go over that well with everybody in the band so you're always kind of giving and taking and i just said you know what this is really my first real full band outing um i'm going for it so um i just said you know what? let's do do whatever is it, safe, is it safe to say that you, this is the album that you've always wanted to make, but maybe we're not able to because of being in a band where you, you know, you have to take into account for everybody, but this is you kind of, you know, running the show and, you know, driving the, you know, driving the car. Well, and well, it is, I mean, when you do your own thing, you're the only one that's like, you're really the only one that's involved. And even though Marty's Marty's producing and and co-writing this stuff, we have a mutual respect for each other. So even when he goes, hey, crap, I want to do some horns on this. And, I, you know, I, he respects it when I go, yes, 
or he respects it when I say, uh, uh-uh, I'm not hearing that. You know what I mean? Um, so, and at the end of the day, it's my name on the record and I'm going to go out and tour on it. And I'm the one that's going to be doing the interviews. So I don't really have anybody else. If it, if it turns out to be a critical, critically acclaimed pile of shit, I'm the one that's going to be at fault and I'm okay with it. You know, at the end of the day, I'm tired of being, um, I'm tired of being, uh, like I'm tired of, uh, of boundaries. You know what I mean? Like, I just want to, I just want to be musical. Cause that's one of the things that I loved about the seventies. I think the bands were way more experimental with shit sounds and other instruments and, and we kind of got away from it. And now I'm just like, well, you know what? I'm going to, I want to do something that's very old school seventies and just be musical. I mean, that's what I am. I'm a musician. Like, why wouldn't I want to be musical? And the cool thing, the other thing that I love about the way I'm doing this song by song, it's not really, I'm judged on the one song, not a whole album. So the next song that I'm going to do, you know, it could sound like, it could sound like Dancing Days by Led Zeppelin or, you know what I mean? It could be very like bluesy in my time of dying or, you know what I mean? I can, uh, there's so many, there's so many, uh, modes of music that I love and that I can draw from and that I hear in my head. I'm like, yeah, man, let's fucking do this. Dude, I have a song. I have a song. Um, I have a song that I wrote that was inspired by the TV, TV series, uh, TV show, or there was a documentary called Echoes in the Canyon. It's about Laurel Canyon. And it sounds like, it sounds like a cross between, I don't know, Tom Petty and John Karabi meets something else. You know what I mean? Um, so I'm kind of all over the place. But I, that's what I love about the fact that I'm doing one song at a time. So you know what? The first batch of people that maybe maybe they hear Costabelli and go, wow, that's not what I expected from him at all. I don't like it. Okay. Well, you don't have to get that one song. Wait for the next one. When so you, it, when you are... Really, I'm, so- I, I don't, I, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to cut you off. I, I don't think it's actually... I just think what it's done, the new approach of doing one song at a time with a video and and this whole thing of being musical, it's just lifted all limitations and all boundaries so I can do whatever the fuck I want to do. In, in terms of range and in terms of when you were working on these songs, I mean, is this stuff that you've recently written? Is some of this stuff from, you know, things that you you know, maybe have been working on for years and finally you're able to 
piece it together and figure it out and you know have have a song it, it, or is it just you know written all the stuff written in the last couple of years no it's been the last couple of years i mean just i i mean right now i was just showing my wife the other day like here's how i operate i'll be sitting watching the tv there's a guitar right next to me and i'll just and i'll just start noodling around with it literally while i'm watching the tv and then I'll, I'll hit this chord to that chord, and I'll go, oh, that's kind of cool. And then I stop watching the TV, and I put my thing together, and then I do a melody, and I'm like, oh, that's really cool. And then I try to piece something together, like a quick little map. Cool? And then I take my phone, and I make a mental a memo, like a recording. And I lay it down. And it's funny, because I was just showing my wife the other day, I go, holy fuck, like, I've got so many fucking ideas and I keep adding to it. I go and I played her this idea that I just worked on like literally like two or three days ago and I played it for her and she goes, Oh, that's great. So I put it on my phone and then I was sitting there and I was scrolling through some of these ideas that I put on this phone over the last year. And it's funny. I'm just sitting there going, I, I, I literally have, I literally have 68 recordings on my phone. So it, and it, and it may just be like a verse chorus, just throw it down or a rep, throw it down. Um, you know what I mean? So I just, and I just keep stockpiling shit. Then I'll go, Oh, that one, that, that one sounds cool. Let me work on that one today and I'll lay it down. Um, so, it's just, it's just random. It's, there's no rhyme or reason to it. Um, there's no rhyme or reason to how I'm doing anything anymore, but I love the freedom of not having any limitations musically and no boundaries. It's just now Costubella, the first one I can play you, uh, the first one I played you the song the other day. Um, oddly enough, um, that was a song that I had worked on with, um, I never actually recorded it. What I did is I sat down with Marty and I was like, Oh, Hey dude, I'm kind of hearing this thing. It's, it was whatever. <clears throat> and I worked on the song and then Marty and I kind of worked out a map for it. And funny because it was during the I think we were on tour burn it down and I played it for the guys in the dead daisies or actually you know what I'm lying it was when we were writing for the burn it down record so that's what two years ago two and a half years ago whatever and um I played the song for the Dead Daisies and um, they kind of went, eh. It w wasn't there a cup of tea? But I'm like, I really believe in this idea, so I'm just going to put that one over here. Um, you know, so it, it, was, it was what it was. I just kind of put it aside and then I went, I did the whole I toured the whole year with the Dead Daisies. 
and then uh, came home in 2019. And oddly enough, it was like one of those things where I said to everybody, like, hey, I left the daisies, you know, and then my phone just started ringing. Like, I, I had so many gigs in 2019. I'm like, fuck, I don't, you know, even just going out doing acoustic shows, I'm like, I mean, I don't have time to wipe my ass, let alone write a record. Um, so I toured almost all of 2019. I, I don't, I can't even tell you how many shows I did 150, 160. And, um, so I, I just, you know, and then 2020 came along and I started pulling out all these old ideas again and, and then started writing some new ones and, you know, and then COVID hit. So I, I, I kind of put everything off to the side again, wrote the book. I took lessons for uh, Pro Tools to learn how to record myself so at least I could record my shit and take it as far as I could on my own. And then I send it to Marty and he sprinkles his fairy dust on it and makes it sound coherent. But um, um, then I just said, all right, you know what? That's how I'm going to do everything. I'm going to record everything myself as, and take it as far as I can. And then I'm going to give it to Marty or get together with Marty and um, mix it, master it. If we need to add something or take something out, we can do that. But I'm going to take it as far as I can and give it to Marty and we're going to, we're going to do that. So that's what we've been doing. You know, you made the announcement that you were leaving the Dead Daisies. You were going to do your solo album, 2019. 2020, obviously, you know, whether it was the pandemic whether it was the protest, whether it was the toxic election, it was just, you know, a shit year. Um, when you think back of music during these times and you think back of how having the motivation of your first solo material in years, right, how much did music mean to you over the last two years? Well, you know, it's, I, I, I love doing what I do. Um, you know, and it's like, I kind of freaked out. I'm like, wait, I, you know, so, okay, what do I do now? Like, I, I can't do what I love to do. But that also, I think even that, that was a good thing though, because it really made me sit down and rethink everything. And when I say rethink everything, I just sat there and I went, you know what? Like nowadays with nobody buying records, um, I kind of realized that 90 plus percent of my income comes from touring. So how do I change that? How, how can I still be productive in music, still make a living, and, you know what I mean, and and still keep my integrity and whatever? And it was so weird. It was like the universe just went, here you go, right here. Like, I was sitting there doing all this shit, and all of a sudden this ad came on, and it was like, learn how to use Pro Tools. So I called up, and I talked talked to this guy, and and. Like I said, I'm still, I've been doing it now for, you know, eight months, nine months. I'm still very caveman with it. But I just sat there and I went, I'm going to take these. It was all online Zoom classes. And I 
I set myself up with speakers and a laptop and an interface and, you know, I got some of the things that I needed and I did my thing and I, I literally just sat down and I'm like, okay, now I've kind of figured this out and you heard Casabella. Um, I can tell you right now, like, you know, probably 75, 80% of that song I recorded in my bedroom on a laptop. So, um, I went, okay, now this is making sense to me. So then I, I kind of, I left the Rat Pack and then I'm building a website and now I've got a YouTube channel and now I've got Spotify. I've got my own Spotify thing. And, and I just sat there and I went, okay, I set myself up. So now I'm going to do, I did my own song that you've heard it. I did a video for that. I kind of directed it and all that stuff. It's, it's not great. I'm not going to win any Steven Spielberg awards in the beginning. I'm going to figure it out as I go, but I did a video for it. And then I hired these people that are knowledgeable at how this system works. And I said, okay, now I'm just going to kind of do my own thing. So it just made me realize like the whole COVID thing took something away from me that I love doing. And it, you know, as much as I love doing it, it also allows me to live my life. And I didn't like it. So it made me rethink everything. And now if, knock on wood hopefully it doesn't happen again if we would ever go through another lockdown or another reason why uh, I can't go out and play music I can at least still sit here and write songs put a, record them and I can upload them and download like people can download <laughs> you know what I mean so I'm not going to be at a total sitting here on my thumbs going oh man fuck, you know no work how am i gonna what am i gonna do uh, i you know i really want to play music but you know what am i gonna do you know am i gonna be a butcher or you know so it just it just kind of opened i think that's the thing the beauty of it all is again not to rehash this but not having any confines not worrying about any limitations and also there's a freedom in knowing that whatever happens in the world, I can still write music and record it, send a file through the internet to Marty. He can mix it, master it, send it back to me, and I can upload it onto my Spotify channel and all my, all my shit, and I can still make a living. Freedom. Is that exciting yet also scary at the same time? A little. You know, say la vie, dude. You live and learn. We still talk, at least, you know, people on the interwebs and social media about the session with Mick Mars that never came to fruition, or maybe it was recorded. Has it, has it been confirmed that that has been shelved, that maybe we're never going to hear that stuff? Um, I don't know, because you're asking the wrong guy. You know what I mean? And and that's kind of my pet answer to everybody. You know, the, the thing of it is, it's Mick Mars' solo record. And he just asked me to sing two songs. And I did it. And, you know, 
with with my schedule being the way that it was with the Daisies and his with Motley Crue, our schedules wouldn't allow us to do any more than that. Um, so it just never materialized. Um, from what I understand, Mick has finished his solo record. Um, it's supposed to be coming out soon. Now, whether or not those songs are included, I don't know. Is there any truth to the rumors that other members of crew put the kibosh on him releasing that stuff? No. Um, the thing of it was, Mick, look, at the end of the day, none of the guys in Motley really are like, it's kind of common knowledge. I mean, they all travel in different buses. They all stay in different hotels. You know what I mean? It's like they're, as much as they were in sync all those years earlier, you know, I can tell you right around the time I joined, they were all starting to fall out of sync with each other, personality-wise. And, you know, there was some things going on with Motley that Mick shared with me. And I just sat there and I just basically said to Mick, I said, you know, is there any reason why? I mean, you need to think about this. He didn't think about it. And I could see the light bulb go off in his head. I said, look, I didn't sign anything saying that I could never work with any of the other members of Motley. I go, but, you know, is this the technicality that might hang you up? And he looked at me like I said, you know, are you breaking any sort of, because I didn't sign the agreement. You did. Is this something that may or may not bite you in the ass later? And he looked at me and he's like, I don't know. I go, well then, you need to figure that out. Like, you know, now if he figured out that somebody would have put a kibosh on it, um, then that, again, you're asking the wrong guy. All I said to Mick was, I didn't sign the, the, the agreement, but your agreement says that no member of Motley Crue will work. You like, they just won't work with another member of Motley Crue. In any capacity, you know what I mean. Um, so, even though you signed it, technically, I was a member of Motley Crue for like four or five years. Is that going to fuck you in the ass later? So, uh, maybe he figured out it would. I don't know. It's only time will tell if if you know the material makes it onto the album. We're all hoping it does because you know. For Motley Crue fans, there's a lot of fans that consider the album that you were on, the self-titled album, as the best, as the best of those albums, even though Vince is the original singer and you know their popularity was with Vince. And having you work with Mick again, who a lot of people consider a very underrated guitar player, a guitar player that never really gets his fair due, it is exciting to know that 
things were recorded and things were done. And, you know, it will be disappointing for Motley Crue fans, for fans of John Karabi, for fans of Mick Mars, if it never does see the light of day. Um, and I hope through any type of legal agreement, I know that, you know, agreement at the end of the day was torn up and blown up when they did the, you know, when they announced the stadium tour. Hopefully that means things are different. I don't know. I'm not, a, not an attorney. Maybe I was one in a previous life. But, um, you know, all we can do is keep our fingers crossed at this point. Well, you know, um, you know, and, and, and if that's the case, you know, Mick ever wants to release those, you know, on his iTunes or Apple tunes, whatever, you know, he's got every, uh, you know, he's got every opportunity to do that. You know what I mean? I just, I, I, I like, you know, again, I, I, it's not my solo record, so I really don't know what's going on. I, and I'm not in Motley Crue and, you know, so I don't know the inner workings of the band anymore, nor do I care. You know what I mean? It's like, um, but you know, we'll, we'll see. Hopefully, hopefully someday those songs will come out and people will dig them. But, um, if not, uh, you know, it was fun while it lasted. <laughs> when you look back at your career, you know, we talked about, you know, Scream, you know, the Scream, and, and we talked about Union and Motley Crue and Dead Daisies, and you, you look at yourself now and the music that you're making and the songs that are going to be coming out. Do you feel that without those experiences that you've had, through the decades that you wouldn't be able to make the music you're making now if it wasn't for all of that? No, because I think at the end of the day, like, you know, I, I was just telling somebody this, like, it's hard for me to go back and listen to the Angora stuff. That was you know, me. That was me the other day. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it was like, you know, dude, I was 24 years old. 25 years old, 26 years old. And all I gave a shit about was, you know, or what I thought was relevant was just writing songs about chicks and parties and being a rock star. And, you know, and like I go back and I listen to some of those songs and I go, Oh my God, seriously. You know what I mean? Lyrically, dumb shit. And as you get older, you're, it's just normal. People's viewpoints aren't the same at 40 as they were at 20. And they're not different at 50. They're different at 50 than they were at 40. You start thinking of things differently. And I just think it gradually, like, I would have eventually ended up here anyway. You know, now, mind you, I've learned some things. You know, I learned things about EQ from Eddie Kramer doing the Scream records. I learned some things about from Bob Rock doing the Motley records. I've learned some things from Bob Marlette doing the Union records and, and Kurt, Kurt Cuomo. Uh, I learned stuff doing the, the, the Dead Daisies. But it was more about sounds and, and, and different guitars. Oh, this guitar sounds like this. That guitar sounds like that. And I still think I would have figured that out. 
but it would it's just I think lyrically and where I'm at now, like it's not about you know getting your balls licked at the in the back of a club while you're holding the Jack and Coke. You know what I mean? It's more about like you know I'm 62 and my balls are in my shoes now. Do you know what I mean? Kind of never. Um, now your dog's but, licking your balls. It, exactly. Um, so you know what I mean? So it's just like your viewpoints on life, just everything. Like now, you know, when I was 25 and 26 and 27, you know, I had Ian, he was a baby, but now he, now he's an adult. Now he's got his own kids. Now I'm grandpa, you know, and, and just all these things. And, you know, so you're, your, your angles and your viewpoints and your point of view, like everything just changes. And then you just, and then you, when you put paper to pen, you're not thinking of pussy. You're thinking of like, you know, the distress that's on the TV every day. And, oh my God, like, what are my kids going to, what's it going to be like for my kids? What's it going to be like for my granddaughters and my grandkids? And you know what I mean? It's just like, you, you just start thinking of things differently. And so I think I would have eventually gotten here. It's not like, you know, Nikki six didn't give me a master class in writing. Um, nor did anybody else in the bands. Like, you know, I was coming to the table with just as many riffs as everybody else. You know what I mean? So I think I would have gradually figured things out on my own. Well, I mean, you as a person, like you mentioned, you know, you we're not the same people we were twenty years ago. We're we're always evolving, and as an artist, as someone who makes music, you have to evolve, right? I mean, it, it, it's really boring to play the same stuff over and over again, even though our fans, or even though your fans, rock fans, want to or want their favorite bands to remain the same, right? They don't want them to venture off too much. They don't want them to evolve too much where they don't sound similar. That's the thing. Like, you know what? Being in a band, it's like you, you'll never, you're never going to please everybody because you're going to have those fans that sit there and go, oh, my God, I went to go fucking see Aerosmith and they played their whole new record, none of their old shit. But if Aerosmith goes out and just plays the classics, then they're a fucking retro jukebox. So then they, they anger people for not being creative still. And it's, you know what I mean? So you can't win. And I've kind of gotten to the point where, you know, and I'll say this honestly, like Motley really being in Motley opened my eyes to a lot of things. It opened my eyes to how people treat you when you have a little success when you're in a big band like that. And it, it, there's, there's some truth. Tommy and Nikki told me this years ago. They said, you know what, dude, everybody's going to start treating you different. And everybody's going to start saying you're acting like a rock star, but you're not actually doing anything different than you were the day before. It's just that everybody around you is looking at you differently. And I was like, no, 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 not my friend. Everybody did it. Everybody, they, everybody did exactly what Tommy and Nikki told me they were going to do. So, but, and, but the funny thing is I was like riding this cloud. I was 
you know, I was the prince of the party and I was getting invited to all the parties and the Playboy mansions and riding in the limos and all this other shit. And the minute they brought Vince back, my phone stopped ringing. And it, and then, and then I sat down and I went, to be honest with you, pretty much the whole time, the whole reason why I took the rat gig is because I was trying to figure out how I could reinvent myself. Which is another fuck thing to do. Instead of trying to force your way into, you know, like I, I, I just kept thinking of it like, oh man, you know, like, you know, all this stuff is happening right now. I need to be more like this. And it was funny because I had, I had a really good friend of mine just sat there and went, dude, look, first of all, you've done all these records, you know, the screen, all the Motley stuff, all the union shit. And he's like, I just like the way you write. Like you don't need to reinvent yourself. You need to just do what you do and do your thing, man. Do your thing. Grow, grow, but do your thing. And I was like, okay. So now I've just gotten to the point where, I mean, this, this is how crazy it is. Like, so you're going to have fans that don't like your growth. They just want to hear the old shit. And you're going to have the fans that don't want to hear. They're like, oh my God, he's fucking lazy. Eating a dead horse. He just keeps talking about, or he just keeps going out and doing the same old fucking shit again. Nothing new. So you can't win. You're not ever going to please everybody. And then, and then on the other hand, people can't accept the fact like they look at a lot of these artists, like for example, David Coverdale, Paul Stanley, John Dawkins. And they're looking at these guys going, Oh my God, like fucking listen to Don. Fuck the, you know, fucking sucks. Vince Neal, another one. Oh my God, fuck Vince sucks. Look at him. He's fucking blah, 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 blah. Okay. Well, uh, yeah, I know we should all bow out gracefully, but this is what we do for a living. And uh, here's the deal, dude. I'm 62. I'm not 32 anymore. I'm not thir- I'm not tw- late 20s. I'm 62. I'm doing the best that I can. And you need to take that into consideration. And they can't. So I just told I just told my wife like my my wife cuts hair and she does hair and and um. I, you know, again, without being weird, like I've literally been dyeing my hair since I was like 23. I, I've, I've had this thing and it's a few members in my family started going like gray, white, like in their twenties. And I'm that lucky guy. So I've been literally dyeing my hair black and dark brown and blah, blah, blah. And I just told my wife like a while ago, it's because it, a fan a fan actually, I hate to say it, kind of pissed me off. Sent me a picture of me in the screen and me a couple years ago in, in Europe uh, with Bruce Kulik. I had a beard. And they're like, well, what the fuck happened to Karabi? He looks like an old homeless guy. And I, I go, yeah, yeah. You know, so I, I just said, you know what? 
I'm just going to do what I'm doing. I don't worry about the fans that want to hear the old shit, the fans that want to hear the new shit. I don't worry about the fans that go, oh, dude, what the fuck happened, man? Your, your hair used to look like this. And, you know, you were like 130 pounds when you were in the screen. Well, guess what? I'm 165, 170 now, and I'm fucking gray. Deal with it. I'm also 35 years older than when you saw me <laughs> in the fucking screen. You know what I mean? It's just like, so I just said, fuck it, man. I'm just going to do what I do. I'm not worried about anybody else's opinions. I'm not worried about rules. I'm not worried about boundaries. I'm not worried. I have no regrets. I have no remorse. I have no whatever. And I'm just, I'm just, I'm just a guy that lives in Nashville. That's got a family that is a musician. And I just want to write the best music I can sing it the best that I can go out and give them the best fucking show that I can. And at the end of the day, when I'm 10 toes up, maybe somebody will go, man, a fucking karate guy. He left quite a fucking catalog. Pretty cool. Not Paul McCartney, but it's pretty fucking cool shit. You know what I mean? It amazes me, you know, when, when people say those things about artists, you know, because they obviously don't own a mirror in their own home because no one looks the same as they did 35 years ago. No one feels the same. You know, one has this, no one has the same hairline, you know, and you expect people. It, it's funny. You expect like a lot of these people expect their heroes, their fucking rock gods are, I guess, apparently are immortal and we're not supposed to change. And it, it's not normal. You know what I mean? It's like, come on guys. So I just told my wife, I go, I'm not dying my hair. I'm not dying my beard. And you know what? If it grows in all white or fucking whatever, salt and pepper, however it grows in, that's how it's going to fucking be. I'm going to own it. I'm 62 years old. And the only thing that I'm happy about and the only thing that I'm really proud of is the fact that I've been doing this for 30 fucking years and I'm still going. Like, there's still people that want to talk to me. There's still people that are booking me. And there's still people that want to buy my music. So, I'm happy about it. Life is awesome. You can do the Gandalf Wizard John Karabi tour. There's a very good possibility. I already have a wizard on my chest. <laughs> I just make change to the details of eye color and call it a day. <laughs> no, but you're, you know, I mean, one of the reasons why plant doesn't want to get back in Led Zeppelin. Cause he knows that if he does a show with Zeppelin within the first paragraph, who's ever writing it is going to say, Robert plant used to be the, you know, this and that and that and he can, you know, no longer carry the notes that he used to. Well, he shouldn't be because he's 70 something years old. Right. And it's like, you know, if you go to see a band, 35 years after you saw them the first time, 40 years after you saw them the first time, whatever it is, if you expect to see the same thing you saw, something's wrong with you, okay? You should go because you love the music. You should go because you want to see the band perform. But come on. I mean, let's be real. I mean, you're right. For some reason, rock and roll fans think that their rock heroes should never age, should be immortal, and should sound the, you know, sound the exactly. same. They did. Yeah, and you know what? Here's the funny thing. I got freaked out because I, I went to see a vocal coach 
well, I don't know how long ago it was, but I sat down and I talked to him and I go, man, it's weird. Like, you know, I'm listening to the screen record and some of the stuff like, you know, catch me if you can. And, and, you know, and I'm listening to it and this vocal coach, it actually helped me just realize, you know what, it's, this is just the way it is. And he, he said to me, he goes, okay, he goes, Let's talk about your vocal cords. Your vocal cords, you, as a human being, you are an organism. You are an organic thing. And I said, okay. Now he goes, think of you as a plank of wood on a deck, an outdoor deck. And I said, right. Now he said, you put your, you paint it and you put your, clear coat on it you take care of that wood but he goes I don't give a shit how much clear coat you put on that thing or paint you put on that thing he goes the elements the sun the rain the cold the snow back to the sun back and forth like all these different changes you know whatever and he goes and then time that plank of wood eventually is going to age and it's going to get old and you're eventually going to just be able to push on it just with a little bit of pressure and you're going to, and you're going to break it. So he goes, so what if you don't sing as high as you did when you were in the scream, change the melody a little bit or drop the key down a half. And I go, oh, okay, which is what Dio did, which is what, you know, David Coverdale does, which is what Kiss does, which is what, I mean, you know what I mean? So now what I do is I record all my music in A440, like regular tuning, and then but I have the luxury of going, oh man, I didn't quite hit that note. Let me do that one again. And I can go back and sing that sentence or I can sing that part over again. Do you know what I mean? And, and get it right. But I sing everything in, in the studio, A440. And then when I play live, I tune this guitar a half step down so that it's not as difficult live because then you're dealing with the elements of traveling, no sleep, uh, smoky rooms, just, you know, moldy shit. You know what I mean? Like all the shit that affects singers, just weather. So you, I take it down a half step so that I can actually reproduce what I did in the studio. When you do become comfortable in your own shoes, right? And, you know, you, you, you accept reality for what it is, like you're talking about now. How liberating as an artist is that, whereas before that, you're pressured to try to match what you've been doing? Well, you know, pressure is a good thing. I think, I think people that like just try to go further with each record or with each song 
it, that's awesome. That's healthy. But I think when you start looking at pressure of what you, your last record, I can't, you know, that was one of the differences in, in the, 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 the comfortability of doing the first Motley record, how comfortable it was doing the 94 album and how uncomfortable it was doing what became Generation Swine. Because everybody was freaked out. Oh, look at what the last record did. We need to do this. We need to do that. We need to do this. Then all this other shit starts coming to play. Like, it's a, it's a, it's a head fuck. So, the, what you have to do is, like, each, like, it, it, which is, I guess, the beauty of, again, doing the music the way I'm doing it now is I'm doing one song in a video. I'm going to promote it, market it, you know, hopefully the fans that I have will tell other fans because I want to do this very organically. I don't, I don't want to, I don't want to boost my posts on Facebook. I don't want to boost my posts on Instagram. I, I, I want to, I want to, I want to do it the way the old guys did it. Like Aerosmith was their first record. They were like regionally popular up in the New England states. And then they went and they toured. And, and that and that circle just kept growing and growing and growing out. Same with Grand Funk Railroad. You know, when you look at bands like Grand Funk Railroad that had very little radio airplay in the beginning of their career, it was all word of mouth. So that that's what I'm want. That's what I'm hoping. You know, all these fans that are like, oh yeah, you, you know, like I, I just want to get everybody on the same page. And the only way I'm going to be successful is if you hear my song and you go, wow, this is really cool. And then you go to a party and you go, hey guys, check out this new fucking song by this dude I like John Karate. And then you pop it in. And then two other people maybe at that party that's two more people. And then they tell two people and they took, you know, so that's, I, I, I really want to go that route. I don't know if it's possible. Um, again, I'm not into boosting my posts. I'm not into finding one of those companies that's going to, you know, they've got 2 million friends. So you pay me $5,000 and I'll put your song on my webpage. Uh, no, dude. Like, I just want it to be word of mouth. I want it at the end of the day, I just want everything to come organically and I want it to come the way that it should. Like, you told those two guys, those two guys told two more of their friends. And so it went from one to two to four to eight to 16 to 32. And that, that, that's what I grew up with. That's, that's how the band's that I grew up listening to did their thing and wasn't about MTV. It wasn't about boosting posts. It wasn't about platinum or not platinum. Even if a band did a record and it wasn't, you know, crazy success, but the record label believed in them, they kept working with them and they kept building and building and building. Um, you know what I mean? So it's like, that that's what I want to do. So I'm excited. I, 
I, I'm, I'm finally excited to get this song out. I can't wait to see what kind of reaction I get uh, on August 30th at 12 o'clock um, a.m. But I'm, I'm kind of curious. I'm a little nervous about it. You know, like if I, if I wake up at, you know, eight or nine o'clock in the morning and, you know, only three people gave it a thumbs up, then I'm going to be sweating bullets. You know what I mean? Like, oh shit, this didn't work out how I thought it would. But, you know, we'll see. We'll see what the deal is. I don't think you got anything to worry about. I think the song is phenomenal. Um, I think your fans are going to embrace it. And I think it has that ability to open doors to more fans because I think it's something different. I think, I don't think it's anything like you've done before. And the beauty of it is I wasn't even trying to do, and I'll be, I'll be completely frank with you and honest with you. One of my all time favorite songs ever and it's by Queen. Now, I don't think my song sounds like it, but I can tell you, 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 you're here in Chicago, Saturday in the Park, which I also think is an amazing song, probably one of my most favorite Chicago tunes. But the song that inspired this song, um, when I first started working on it, I was sitting there and I was going, okay, these chords are cool. And I, you know... And I got together with Marty, and when we put it together, he was like, you know, what are you kind of hearing, dude? Like, I I think he was even a little, at first, taken back a little. Like, where are you going with this? And I go, I don't know, dude. Like, I'm just kind of hearing something on the lines of, like, Killer Queen by Queen. I hear that, too. Yeah. It's like rock, you know, but it's got a little bit of Beatles in there. And, but it's, it's still, it's still fucking, you know, I, I, I can't say it's heavy, but it's rock, but it's got pop, it's got pop elements to it. So he was like, oh, okay. And as soon as I said Killer Queen, I go, man, I'm kind of hearing like, piano on this and just musical okay now marty and i worked on it and then i was going to bring it to the dead daisies and they were like when i was explaining it to everybody and in and in their defense they didn't hear the song finish they just heard a guitar and two dudes scatting a melody into a phone like i didn't even have the lyrics or anything at that point but it was mapped out so what they heard was an acoustic guitar, no lyrics, just the melody. And, but you know what I mean? And they're like, yeah, not hearing it. Um, but then I came home once I, once I got through, you know, the COVID thing hit and I taught my thing and I, I went back through my phone and I, I found that idea and I'm like, you know what? I'm, I'm, I'm going to fucking do this. I'm going to fucking record this song. And I literally sat down and I did all the piano. I got the click track and I did the piano. I did it first. I did an acoustic guitar track and then I doubled it. And then I did the piano and then I did an electric guitar track. And then I did the drum track to it. And then I did the bass 
and I sat down and I sang it. And then I had my buddy, uh, Daniel, Matt, and John Farley um, come over here, and we did the backing vocals, and I mapped it out, and I sent it to Marty, and he was like, fuck. Yeah, dude. He goes, you should do like a Brian May-ish kind of guitar. So he heard it immediately, too. And oddly enough, I got this new, it's called, you know, they call them plug-ins for the Pro Tools thing. And there was like a Brian May kind of guitar tone on there. So those, there's like kind of in the beginning of the song, right after the first chorus, there's like this little Brian May thing. I only did it the once. But I put this, you know, I'm like, oh, let me see what this Brian May thing sounds like. And it sounded like Brian May. So I'm like, oh, fuck. But I'm only going to put it here. I don't want to overdo it because then it's going to be like, I go, I didn't want everybody to think that I was trying to mimic Queen. But I kind of was inspired by Killer Queen. So I just laid it down, gave it to Marty, and then he, you know, he fixed a couple things. <laughs> and then he mixed it and mastered it. Sent it back and it's ready to go. After this song comes out on Monday, what's next for you? Like, when's the next song? Are you going to be touring? What's the plan? To be honest with you, I just had a bunch of dates fall out in Mexico, and and I was supposed to do some shows with a uh, Molly Hatchet and Zebra, and they all fell out due to the COVID shit. So, who knows? Um. My next shows are, I think I'm doing a festival in Louisville. And, um, you know, I, I, like a lot of shit dropped out because of the Delta variant. So, um, honestly, I'm just, I'm going to do this, man. I'm, I, I'm, I've got a bunch of press to do to promote the new song. And, um, but while I'm doing the press, I'm also getting song number two. I'm going to sit down with Marty and um, my manager and go, okay, so all the shit that I have here, what do you think I should do next? Let's sit down and talk about it. Okay, I think you should follow that one up with this one or maybe this one or that new one that you were working on. Okay, great. And then we do that, get the song ready to go, the music, and then I'm going to do a video for that one and then just keep them coming. Um. And the beauty now, too, is with these um, digital distribution things, I can even do some covers that I've grown up listening to and always admired. So, um, you know, maybe I'll do just a cover song here and there that I've always, always loved. And which even that is all over the place because, you know, I've heard some humble pie that I want to redo. Um, God, just the other day, I was just listening to, um, I was listening to Sly and the Family Stone, Everyday People. And I'm like, oh, God, what a great tune. And then I was listening to Bill Withers' um, song called Grandma's Hands. I'm like, oh, man, what a great tune. I'd love to, well, you know what the beauty is now is I have my own studio. I can record a version of that, mix it, master it, and just throw it out there. Hey, check this out, guys. Here's my version of this. Here's my version of that. Whatever. Here you go. And and just, you know, it's just keep 
putting music out with a video. Well, John, I'm looking forward to what you have in store in the future. I love the new track. Thank you very much for sharing it with me a few days ago. I think people are going to love it. I think it's just got a very feel-good type of vibe to it, and I think that resonates with people in today's world. I think people are looking for, you know, good times, feeling good, because, you know, as soon as we walk out the door, it's what the hell is the day going to bring us, you know, today. So I think my wife has heard it a million times, but she said, you know what I love about that song? And, and the, and the few people that I've played it for have all said the same thing. It's happy. And I'm like, well, I wasn't really intentionally going for that, but yeah, it's kind of, it's got a happy little fun vibe to it. And awesome. Killer. You know, wasn't intentional, um, but uh, again, I'm not worrying about it. There's no, again, there's no rhyme or reason. There's no game plan. There's no specifications. It's just, oh, I wrote this killer thing. I'm going to go record it. And then I record it, and I go, you know what? I I like that. I'm going to put it out. The ones that I'm not sure about are still sitting there, trust me. Uh, And I've got quite a few of those as well. But if I write it and I record it and I like the way it sounds, it will come out. So um, I'm just excited. Song number one is all set and ready to go. Literally at 12.01 on uh, a.m. on the 30th, it's going to be out to the masses. So I'm keeping my fingers crossed. And again, um, whoever's hearing this or reading this, I'm, I'm just hoping that it's a word of mouth thing. Tell your friends. If you like it and um, you dig it, then please tell your friends and, and um, you know, let's honestly grow this thing together. Well, I'm looking forward to it. I'm looking for more, you know, looking forward to more music from you. And I really appreciate you sitting down with me and talking with me about music, about your life, about your history, and where things are at today. Awesome, buddy. Good talking with you. All right, everybody. That's John Karabi. Look for his new song out August 30th. And uh, he can definitely come back and talk about all the new things he's got going on in the future whenever he's ready. I'm Jay Scott. This is the Hook Rocks, the Ultimate Rock for You podcast. Stay safe, stay healthy, stay strong, and we'll talk again soon. Thanks. Dead beauty stopping up a storm, lines of hell on a face. Red apples crawling through the night, busting loose, run away.
It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more fantasy points. 